Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, and verses 20 through 26. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now skipping down to verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Well, good morning, Cross Point Coast. It is good to be here with you today. My name is Scott Rivas, and I send, I bring greetings from Orlando, from uh, Cross Point downtown, Pastor Ryan Walker, and we have two elder candidates. I'm one of them, and uh, Josh Conover, and we, um, the brothers and sisters there, send greetings to you this morning. It's great to be here with you, and what a great facility you have. This is my first time here, and I'm really impressed. It's really beautiful, and I was talking with James a little bit, and it was really neat to hear the story behind it and, and the connections with, um, with the Jewish folks um, over here and, and the connection with the ministry, and that's really uh, dear to my heart. As um, When I became a Christian at the age of 20, a, uh, a Jewish uh, Christian actually was the one that witnessed to me. And I learned a lot about uh, the Jewish feast and things in my early days of being a Christian. And today we're going to touch on that a little bit in our context because this is really a, a Jewish culture text that we're going to look at today. But uh, like I said, my name is Scott Revis and Linda, my wife, is here visiting. And uh, we're just so thrilled to be here. Um, a little bit about us. We have been married for almost 36 years. We have four children and nine grandchildren. So we are really blessed. Uh, the only thing we're not blessed with is that none of them are here in Florida. We have to travel to go see them. Um, but we came to Florida, to Central Florida, about almost eight years ago uh, to work with Wycliffe Bible Translators, which is located in southeast Orlando in the Lake Nona area. Maybe you're familiar with Wycliffe. And um, I work in human resources, and Linda has just taken a new role as cultural engagement facilitator. And if you'd like to learn more about that, I'm sure she'd love to to tell you all about it, and we'd love to talk and fellowship with you afterwards and tell you about Wycliffe and the great things that are going on there. Uh, But we are really excited to be here, and, and thank you for allowing me to bring God's Word Uh, today. So uh, please pray with me as we ask God to be uh, with us and and guide us in his word. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning. We praise you, Lord. We praise you that we can come into this wonderful building and gather as your children, gather together and praise you and look to you and anticipate hearing from you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds and make your word alive to us today, that we would hear you and, and follow you and obey you. Lord, that we would hear the specific word that you would have to speak to us today individually and as a church. That, Lord, that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. And Lord, we remember our brothers and sisters across the world today and specifically in places like Ukraine where they are suffering. And Lord, may you encourage them with your word today as well. Um, that, that you would build up the believers there. And we lift up other Christians around the world that are suffering and, uh, and ask that they would be firmly rooted in your word. And Lord, that you would firmly root us in your word today for your glory and show us the action that you would have us take today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to imagine um, a situation that we're probably all familiar with. Um, a picture that it's lunchtime on a sunny afternoon and you're driving down the road and in a distance you see something that looks a little familiar to, to you. It's a red and white logo and you're getting your hopes up and as you're driving a little closer, it's confirmed to you as you see the graphic chicken and you say, yes, it's Chick-fil-A. I haven't had that in a long time, at least a week or two. I think I'm hungry, and I think I would like some Chick-fil-A. So as you drive, you, you say to the family in the car, hey, how about we have Chick-fil-A -fil for lunch? And they're like, yeah, you're the greatest. Let's go. So you pull into the parking lot, and you think, wow, I've hit the jackpot. There's not even a long line or anything for the drive through Like, this is amazing. This is like, I'm just so blessed. And then you're like, wait a minute. There's nobody else around. What's going on here? Oh, it's Sunday. Sunday is not the season for Chick-fil-A. So embarrassed, and, and all of us have probably done that at least once, right? Embarrassed, you turn around and you, and you hightail it out of there. And under your breath, you say, curse you, Chick-fil-A. May no one ever eat waffle fries from you again. Just kidding. We don't curse Chick-fil-A. But as you've noticed, I borrowed a little bit of what Jesus said about the fig tree. And our sermon today is entitled, I've called The Lesson of the Fig Tree. And the big idea here is there is a big difference between pretending and true faith that produces fruit. There's a big difference between pretending and truth, true faith that produces fruit. We've got three points to cover today. First, the expected fruit, the fruit of faith, and the fruit of forgiveness. First, the expected fruit, found in verses 12 to 14. I'll read that again. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came... 
to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, we should know that Sunday is not the season for Chick-fil-A. And you would think that Jesus should know that that season was not the season for figs, right? I mean, it should not have been a big surprise for him. After all, this is an agrarian culture. They know what's going on. They know the cycle of the fig, the fig tree. But there's something else going on here. And first of all, I think um, the way this starts off on the following day begs a little explanation in history. So what happened here, if, if you know the background of basically chapter 11, Jesus told the disciples, go and get a cult. And then he rides into Jerusalem, riding on this cult. And by doing so, and we call this Passion Week, by doing so, he's declaring that he is the king. He's fulfilling Zechariah 9, and he's the king of Israel. And then he has this brief temple visit, and it says that he looks around, and it was late, and he leaves, and probably maybe there wasn't many people there. And then he goes to Bethany, and he probably went to Bethany because um, it was, he liked to get away from the city, and he had friends in Bethany. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were in Bethany. Maybe he stayed with them. So he comes back the next day, and as he's approaching, he sees this fig tree. And he sees that the fig tree is in full leaf. And after this, he goes to the temple, and that's going to be covered next week, the temple cleansing. And then following that, we come back and we get the, um, the lesson from the, from the withered fig tree. But first of all, he comes up, and he's expecting fruit from this tree because it's in full leaf. But as was said, it was not the season for figs. So what's going on here? At first glance, we, we look at this, especially in our Western culture, and we think, this poor innocent tree, like, come on, it was trying, right? I mean, how many of us have had trees or plants and, you know, we're patient with it and we try to nurse it back to life and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, this poor tree, you know, it was, it was giving all that it had, right? It was producing leaves. Yeah, it didn't have fruit, but okay, so what? You know, and was Jesus really that upset and that hungry that he became hangry at this, at this tree and, and, and curse it? Well, Jesus is not really reacting to this fig tree, and there's a, there's a deeper story here. We know Jesus's character because, after all, he fasted for 40 days right, in the wilderness. And when the tempter came to him, um, Jesus did not give in to his temptation, but he remained satisfied by the nourishment of God's word. In Matthew 4, 3 and 4, it says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was fully satisfied. And, and we know, he said before, uh, my, my food is to do the will of God. So he was totally satisfied with God. So there's something else going on here. Um, but we all have some empathy of this, of this tree, right? Um, it reminds me of 
the prophet Jonah. Um, if you remember, Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach uh, to these people that they would repent. They were the arch enemy of, of his people, and he didn't want to go, but he went anyway, indirectly, got there, and um, he preaches and the people repent. And he's not happy with this. And he goes off and he, he looks onto the city hoping that God will destroy this city. And he's watching and um, the sun comes up and uh, this scorching heat. And so God appoints this plant to spring up and cover him with shade. And then um, he God appoints a worm to the plant and it dies. And so he's... And then this scorching east wind comes and he's all upset and and God says to him are you angry is it right for you to be angry about this plant that you didn't work for and he says yes I'm angry angry enough to die he was just really mad about Nineveh and um, God said you care about this plant you didn't work for this plant you didn't cause it to to come up or anything and should and you're so concerned about that should I not be concerned with 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. So there's a priority thing here. Like, let's check our hearts. Like, are we so concerned about this poor fig tree? Or what's really going on here? In his commentary work, Sinclair Ferguson says, Many readers have been alarmed by this action of Jesus. It seems so severe. But it drives us to one of two conclusions. Either Jesus was callous and cynical in his use of power, Or the question of our spiritual fruitfulness is one of immense seriousness, which we ignore at our peril. The Jewish people did ignore it, and within years were exposed to the withering judgment of God. How much that without exception, Jesus means what he says. So again, Jesus was not just angry and hungry. He was not just giving a lesson to culture but on eternal life with God. Mark 13, 28 says, Jesus said, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So the lesson here. This parable, this is an enacted parable. Um, this is the only miracle of Jesus in the, in the book of Mark, and I believe in the Gospels, where Jesus brings death and not life. I mean, think about it. Every other miracle, he healed and he brought some form of prosperity and life. But this is the only one that it's actually a curse. So we have to understand the culture of what's going on here. The fig tree, um, as I mentioned before, this, this Middle Eastern culture was agrarian, and they understood the cycle of the fig tree. There's many scriptures that talk about um, the fig tree, there's symbolism of that being a blessing when there's fruit and, and a curse when there's not fruit or the fruit is shaken off. So there's a, there's a lot of understanding there. And there are the cycle of the fig tree. So, so picture in the summer, the figs are ripe, and then between August and October, the figs are harvested. And then once that is over, 
the winter is right around the corner and there's no fruit on it, there's no leaves on it anymore. But during this period of time, the tree will produce buds and also grow these things called knops. And in Hebrew, it's called pagim. And pagim is an immature fig fruit. And so that stays on the tree, and that's actually on the tree before the leaves come back in the spring. So some of the time there's no fruit, but most of the time there's something. So in in the early spring, there is at least this pegging. So if a tree is in full leaf, it it should have ripe fruit, but it should at least have pegging on it. So Jesus coming up to it, pagim, by the way, is edible. A lot of people would eat that. So Jesus could have found something to eat, usually. It seems like this tree didn't have anything. And so uh, verse 13, this tree is actually being deceptive. It is saying, here I am, I've got life, I've got leaves on me, come and eat fruit from me. But it was lying. It didn't have anything on it. Um, The end of verse 13, we could probably paraphrase it something like this. It was, of course, not the season for figs, but it was the season for pagim. So he could have had something to eat there if it was some sort of fruitful tree. So winter had passed. Jesus saw the fig tree from a distance. It was in leaf. It should have mature fruit or something, at least something to eat. Jesus was hopeful for that, but it was symbolic that he was hopeful for Israel. He was hopeful for some fruit for Israel to be bearing, but it did not. And so this cursing the fig tree was a symbol to the people that you're not bearing fruit. I've invested in you. I've been faithful to you to bring my word, to bring the prophets, to sow into you. And I am a God who sows and expects fruit. God always expects something. God never expects nothing. He doesn't expect anything out of our flesh, but he expects a return on what he invests in his people. Jesus was always pointing to the spiritual leaders, to the people, to the disciples about what their heart conditions were and the need to repent and turn back to God. Repeatedly, there's an exhortation to believe God, like that verse um, that we see that, that Jesus says to Peter, believe in God. He wants us to realize that Appearances can be deceptive. The appearance of this fig tree was that it should have fruit. The appearance of Israel and the individual person was that they were God's people. They should have the fruit. But it didn't. It was dead. That fig tree was really had no life. And that was an indictment on the people as well. So Jesus tells us what will happen if our lives appear alive, but they're really dead. John 15, 2 and 6 says, Every branch not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So there is a warning. God is investing in us. He expects fruit to be produced. If it doesn't, he may prune us, but we fear God and search him for the fruit to be produced. So the first point is that God, the expected fruit, God expects fruit. The second point is the fruit of faith, verses 20 to 24. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So this came true. Jesus is a true prophet. He made the curse, and it came true, and Peter was astonished. Jesus said, have faith in God. And this is the ultimate message that Jesus wants to convey. To have faith in God. He was going to do a new thing. Obviously, the old was not working. The religious system, Israel, what they were supposed to represent to the world, and the individual religious leaders, that group and the people... They were missing it. And Jesus was going to bring in something new. Passion Week, this, he was about to do it. Um, because where, where faith is absent, so the encouragement is to believe God, trust God. Where faith is absent, there is no fruit. And where there's no faith and no fruit, there's no life. And we can't be a blessing to God's name. We can't be a blessing to others. This is, a, this is indeed a message for Israel, but it's a message for God's people of all times, us included. Verses 22 and 24 have been misconstrued so that people follow, tend to follow a formula. You know, if you take this out of context in, in our own Western thinking, we think, okay, I can just believe God for whatever I want and he's going to give it to me. And that's not what this is all about. This is about God's way of eternal life and the fruit that he wants to produce in our lives. It's not about us trying to manipulate our situations or our circumstances or or even God. It's about um, submitting our will to God. Uh, That's what prayer is. It's not so much talking at God and asking him to do things and fulfill a wish list. It's communing with God, having our life in him and with him and he with us. The Christian life is about surrendering my fleshly wants. Philippians 3, 8 to 9 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, And count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God 
that depends on faith. True faith in Christ produces true fruit, true spiritual life. And this was Paul's conviction. He knew that he was so convinced it wasn't about his, his fleshly wants anymore. He was considered, the, considered himself the chief, chief of sinners. He was totally surrendered. And he's encouraging the Philippians that this Christian life is full surrender and by faith that life is in us and that fruit is produced in us. Now, faith, faith and prayer that we are encouraged to do does believe in the impossible. We are encouraged to pray. Um, prayers of faith that believe God for the impossible. But we're not trying to control God. All of us have, um, I know all of us have struggles in our lives. We have weaknesses. We have challenges. We have concerns. Um, Linda and I are praying through some significant concerns in our lives. And whatever that concern is, yes, we should come before God with boldness and believe in God that he is going to meet us. But whatever his answer is, we still have faith and trust in God because he is God. And it's his will that we're aligning with. Maybe it won't be the answer that we're, we're expecting or hoping for, but it will be the best answer for us. And for his glory. So finally uh, we're coming to verse 25. But we've covered the expected fruit that God is a God who invests and sows in his people. And he expects fruit. The fruit of faith that we are to believe God and trust him. And align ourselves with his will. So that uh, what is produced in us is is uh, fruit that is a result of faith and aligning with him and uh, not that of our own. And then finally, the fruit of forgiveness. Uh, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Now, some uh, manuscripts... Uh, say that there's a verse 26 and that's pretty much borrowed from Matthew 6, 14 and 15 where Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive forgive your trespasses. So it is conditional. It's conditional beginning of the expected fruit. Am I fading out a little bit? This goes back to the beginning of the um, expected fruit. God has invested in us and he expects fruit from us. God has invested his forgiveness in us and he expects the fruit of forgiveness to, f- to flow from our lives. As noted earlier, um, the context of this section of Mark is what we call Passion Week. And Jesus is just days away from the cross. He's days away from giving his life and f- for the church. He's going to purchase the church by his blood. Um, and, and then out of his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the coming Holy Spirit, 
The gospel is going to go forth. And that gospel is promised to produce fruit. It's going to produce a people that are in community with one another, that are in communion with God, and that love one another and love others. And part of loving others is forgiving others. Um, as we pray for new life to come into us and to our families and to our communities, our world, we do see corruption around us, right? I mean, we, we do see systems that are corrupt. We see injustices all around us within locally and throughout the world. We see these things and they can get us angry. So this encouragement is um, this admonition to beware that we could become jaded, we could become um, embittered and angry as we go forth for justice. Now, Jesus did speak up about justice. I mean, this example of him cursing this fig tree and, and what you'll learn next week about what he did in the temple, he did speak up about injustice. We should, but we need to beware and be careful and, and look at our hearts and see that we're not becoming embittered. There's an example of, um, many of you know the, the story of Corrie Ten Boom. And she was in a Nazi concentration camp along with her sister. And uh, she speaks about her sister suffering and being tortured a lot. I'm not sure about her. she herself. But after the war, she would give talks about forgiveness and help people to, to overcome and to move on through forgiving. And one time she was talking to a group of, of people and she saw in the back, she recognized this SS soldier that had specifically tortured her sister. And she looked at him and he was coming forward and she prayed, oh Lord, I can't do this. I cannot offer grace to this man who so cruelly tortured my, my sister. How can I do this? And as she prayed, she felt the Lord say to her, reach out your hand to him. Reach out your hand. And as she did, she was able to gain that feeling and extend that forgiveness. So oftentimes we have to take an action against what our flesh is telling us, against what our, what our preferences are telling us, and what is God's way of forgiveness, submitting to the Holy Spirit. Um, N.T. Wright says this, Jesus is quite clear that there can be no personal malice or aggression involved in such work. Even at the very moment where Jesus is denouncing the system that had so deeply corrupted God's intention for Israel, his final word is the stern command to forgive. Perhaps only those who have learned what, what that means will be in a position to act with Jesus' authority against the injustice and wickedness of our own day. So I have to ask myself, you know, what's, what's informing my mind? I don't watch the, or listen to the news too much, but, you know, when I do, like, and social media, like, what is forming my heart and my mind? What am I allowing myself to be influenced by? Um, yeah, we should really be informed to know what's going on in the world so that we can pray and maybe we need to do, take some action. Maybe God wants us to do something about it. But what is forming 
my heart and my mind and what is keeping my heart tender to God and to others so that I am not bitter? Is it not God's word uh, blessed and empowered by his Holy Spirit um, to teach us and to keep us pliable like that? Uh, I'm really, you know, we're, we're called to keep our, keep our eyes on the Lord and to come against the deeds of the flesh. In Matthew 7, uh, 1 to 5, we're taught, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly the speck, uh, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So this perspective is that we should always be thinking that our sin is greater. It's so easy, isn't it, to, to see the faults in other people and not the faults in ourselves. Um, this, by the way, is, is one of the reasons why uh, marriage exists. It's to, to sharpen one another, right? To, to um, help one another see our blind spots and to submit to whatever situation, life that you're in where God is bringing that to light so that you see the sin in your own, the, the log in your own eye so that you can repent and take that out and help your brother. It's not that we're not to speak up, but we have to have that humility to, uh, to see the, speck in, the, the log in our own eye first um, and put on Christ uh, likeness. Listen to what Tim Keller says about fruit in our lives, and this is really challenging. Uh, there are many things we do that can appear to be signs of real belief, but can grow without real heart change. Evidently, we can be very busy in church activities without real heart change and without real compassionate involvement with others. Jesus is saying that he wants more than busyness. He wants the kind of character change that only comes from realizing that you have been ransomed. If you're an anxious or impatient person, is it clear to everybody around you that you are overcoming that? If you're, if you're an angry or unforgiving person, have you clearly begun to conquer anger? Are you learning to absorb the cost of forgiveness? If you're a fearful person, a self-hating person, or a self-aggrandizing person, is it very clear to the people who know you best that your character is undergoing radical regeneration? Or are you just very busy with religious activities? Are we busy putting the leaves on the tree, but there's no fruit? Now, let's not think that we just have to shape up and, and, and do better. I'll do better. I'll do better. No, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The fruit only comes through the Holy Spirit. That one line is, is, really, um, is really telling. Are you learning to absorb the cost of forgiveness? Forgiveness costs something. It costs us something to forgive another person. It costs us to absorb that pain, to not lash out, 
to bear our cross. There's a cost to it. So maybe you're here this morning and like me, you recognize some hypocrisy and some fruitlessness in your life. I sure do. There's grace today. There's grace by the Holy Spirit. Christian, it's God's will for you to be alive, not just to have a show of leaves, alive and bear fruit. So the encouragement today is to turn again to Christ. The Christian life is a daily life, a life of daily repentance. Turn again to Christ. Ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you, empower you, produce his fruit in you. And when you see Sometimes I experience this, that you confess your sin, you, you acknowledge that you've done this wrong over and over and over again, and you just see it happen again and again. It can be discouraging. That's God's grace, that you're able to see the failure. If it wasn't God's grace, you wouldn't even see it, and you would think that you're fine, and you would just continue on without fruit in your life. But God is producing fruit in your life when he brings these things to your attention. Ask for the Holy Spirit to do this in your life. Now, there's some promises in Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 1. You're probably familiar with these. That they are ours in Christ. We have these things fulfilled in us. Both of those passages, you can look them up later, but it talks about the one whose leaf will not wither and who will bring forth fruit. That is the promise. Yes, we are to have the leaves on our tree to show that we have fruit, but we're to have the fruit too. And that's the promise. That's the the fruit that the Holy Spirit will bring. Jesus is the true vine. He said, you did not choose me But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So wherever you are today, the invitation is to come to Jesus. He will truly bear fruit by the Holy Spirit in the surrendered life. Then you will be a blessing to God's name You will be a blessing to others. You will be excited to call others to come and receive Jesus' forgiveness as well. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we praise you that the production of fruit in our lives is not up to us, but it is expected of us. Lord, you are a God who sows your precious seed into our lives, that we would produce fruit that displays your character, that points a world to Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us in our weakness. We confess that we are not as fruitful as we should be. We confess that we are busy many times with religious activities that don't bear fruit. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Change us. Produce the fruit of forgiveness and love and all the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that you would be glorified, that we would have your joy, 
that we would call others to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.